1: Into our house, enter thou not. Through our fence, break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life, you may not steal, though we may be scared. To death. To, death, to, death, to death. Welcome to Scared to Death. Creeps, papers, Roberts, and Annabelle's. I'm Dan.
0: I'm Baby Baphomet.
1: Oh, jeez. <laughs> There's Lindsay.
0: <laughs> I'm still holding on to this guy mostly just because he's squishy and soft and comfortable mm-hmm. to hold on to. He fits perfectly across my chest like this.
1: Okay. All right. I was. I was trying to explain to Lindsay what he represents. I get it. Before the show. Uh I hope you're, hope your 2022 is wrapping up well. Uh Ugh. crazy that it's already wrapping up griefs and papers. Uh seems seems like a long year and also a short year. The
0: days are wait wait, the days are long but the years are short.
1: Mm, I don't know that phrase. That that, well, that now feels you right.
0: Do. That's what, that's how they explain marriage.
1: Uh I I actually have no announcements other than to remind everyone we have so many cool items over at badmagicmerch.com. Say what? Yeah. We'll just get right into it, uh, unless you have announcements.
0: Well, I will just give a charity update. Oh, yeah. Uh, So just a very quick charitable update for the month of December, of course, was the Bad Magic Giving Tree, and we're done. We have shopped. It's over. It's oh, complete. Awesome. And a uh, massive shout out to St. Joan, who's working for us. That's my uh, mom, yeah. in case you haven't been following along. She was the best asset to our team this year. I love her so much. Um, but yeah, she just did an incredible job and so proud of her. And she's so proud to be a part of our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, we were able to ho- help over a, a few over 50 families. And the Patreon donation for this month totaled $14,513 with additional funds going into the scholarship fund, which we'll be talking about in January. And then the fans donated $10,034 and that wasn't quite enough between the two to cover the cost that we had so instead of Dan and I just matching dollar for dollar that $10,034 we as a couple donated $13,000 to the cause so all 53 families have been shopped for 152 kids will have a magical Christmas because of you guys, your support your love, this community Uh, can't talk about it too long so I'll just start crying so good job guys, thank you for ending twenty twenty to on a positive
1: note. Bring some happy holidays. Happy, happy holidays. Some, some Christmas kids, maybe some Hanukkah kids. We don't know. They're, yeah. they're getting some... Chinooka.
0: No, just kidding. <laughs> Christmaka, all the things.
1: Whatever it is. Ba-
0: Baphomet days.
1: Oh, geez. Um, what horror do you have uh oh. for us this December?
0: Oh, well, I have... Oh, yeah. I have a, a long-winded tale about a lifelong attachment, but it doesn't really dawn on the person what's going on until the very end, which mm-hmm. is... And when it does, it's like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. And then uh, a haunted teddy bear. It's so creepy. It's Mm. so creepy. I love the second tale.
1: Good little twist on the haunted doll. Exactly. Uh, I'm very excited about both my stories. My first story is a story about a couple teens who grab hold of an old book that I had heard about before of Occult Summoning Spells, Mm. uh, a very old uh, occult book. I read that book. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, And then they they seem to have opened a door that should have stayed closed. Uh, I don't want to give away more than that. And then next I have another story featuring some true crime basis, Different spin than we've done before, though. Did a convicted killer, uh, Gary Mark Gilmore, do what sent him to death row because his mother brought something dark into her life long before he was ever born uh, that ended up kind of infesting him. Huh. And and within that tale is some random Nike trivia. That you'll have to. Oh, okay. That I thought was pretty fascinating. Well, I'm
0: returning a pair of Nikes, I got I'll probably be happy about that.
1: Uh, uh, are you cozied up and ready to uh, get started?
0: Um, just about. I'm going to show I like you. Like your jacket. Thank you. I'm very colorful today.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, the story we just start right off. By the way, there's no setup.
0: Okay. Well, let me get my socks out. I got some Santa socks. Hello, Cute. Santa Claus. Last week I had Christmas trees. Next week, I don't know. I don't have any um, Hanukkah socks. I gotta go get some. Mm. Anybody? Anybody want to send me some? (laughs) Okay, you ready? I am ready, Paschetti.
1: Time now for the tale of the summoning. The following is a story I have a meaning to post for quite some time. After reading a recent submission by another poster, someone who it sounds like dealt with a similar phenomenon, I felt compelled to share my own story. This happened when I was a teenager many years ago. When I was living in a small city in upstate New York where I grew up, it happened to a friend of mine uh, at the time and myself. While I've always been into the paranormal, my friend was very skeptical prior to this experience, despite his own obvious encounters, obvious to me at least, with the supernatural, most of which were unpleasant. Shadow people in his room at night, he tried writing off as sleep paralysis, strange whisperings in the attic and other noises he continually wrote off as an overactive imagination. I'm convinced that there was something bad haunting his house, but he refused to accept that. At least prior to our experience, he did. Afterwards, he wasn't so sure. Probably would have been better for him to keep telling himself it was nothing, actually. One day, we were in my room having a discussion about the paranormal. I told him about the story I'd come across in a book of ghost stories. A story about some teens who'd come into possession of an old occult book of dark magic. Kids who played around with some summoning and conjuring spells and ended up believing that actually brought something into this world. I told my friend that I thought I'd found the same book of spells that they'd used at a big used bookstore downtown, a reprint of The Key of Solomon, originally written in 14th century Italy. I asked him if he was game for trying to summon the power of the spirit world. Bad idea. And I could tell this made my friend nervous. I knew it. You do believe, don't you? He still denied that he did. Said he just thought it was silly and a waste of time. I asked him to humor me. And we then proceeded to read and carry out the ritual to the best of our abilities. And then, absolutely nothing happened. Not at first. My friend now argued about how this proved once and for all that the spirit uh, world of the paranormal was nothing more than people's imaginations. Scary for books and movies, but not actually true. I argued back that we probably just didn't do the spell right. It was a bright, sunny, warm day while this was going on and my parents were downstairs. As we continued to argue, something in the atmosphere of my room began to shift. It was subtle at first. I noticed it before my friend did felt as if the air had a different pressure to it, kind of like how it feels on a plane when your ears are about to pop. Maybe a minute, two tops, after this change in pressure, the room began to take on the feeling of being electrically charged, just barely at first. But after a few minutes, it felt like my skin was covered in static electricity, kind of like how if you've ever rubbed a balloon back and forth on your skin and then used it to make your hair stand up. My hair was starting to stand up a bit, and so was my friend's. But still, he didn't say anything. I didn't either. I didn't want to acknowledge it before, uh, you know, he did so he could blame me on influencing him somehow. A few minutes after this feeling of electricity in the air, it suddenly felt as if we weren't alone. It also felt darker, like a thick cloud just passed in front of the sun. I actually thought that did happen. But looking out my window, it definitely did not. I now felt a a bit foggy too. I was having difficulty arranging my thoughts and expressing them. I'd never done any drugs at that point in my life, but it felt like I was stoned. My room had always been a haven for me, a safe space full of good energy, but now it became a very unpleasant and unfamiliar place to be in. Just when I couldn't keep all this to myself any longer, my friend's face suddenly went blank and he stopped talking. I still hadn't indicated how I felt up to that point. Now he stopped me and said, wait, and then he blurted out, do you feel that too? I nodded and his eyes went wide. Whatever was happening, whatever was in the room with us, we both felt like it was dangerous and that we needed to get out of my room. It felt threatening, dark. My friend went to grab the door to my room, but before he did, something else grabbed the doorknob from out in the hall, and it violently began to twist the knob back and forth. Thank God I'd locked it. My friend now backed up away from the door, and we both retreated to the far side of the room by the window, as the door now began to shake back and forth, faster and faster. I thought whatever was shaking, it was surely gonna tear it off the hinges at any moment. When I'd backed up all the way to the window, I turned and looked outside, and what I saw made me scream. My friend turned and screamed as well. There were several strange-looking people in the yard looking up at us. They looked completely human except for their eyes and their mouths. Their eyes were a bit too big for regular persons and all dark, and their teeth looked more like a predator's fangs than human teeth. The door now stopped shaking and swung slowly open as we stared at it, mouths open. We both quickly glanced back outside, and those people, or whatever they were, were gone. Do you think they're inside the house? I whispered to my friend. "I I don't know what's going on. He barely squeaked back. His eyes had filled up with tears. He looked like he was about ready to burst into sobs, like he was about to become hysterical. Let's go, I said. I think we need to get out of here. After hesitating just a bit, worried about what was just shaking the door, we moved quickly down the hall where we didn't encounter anything and then headed downstairs. Nothing felt right. Photos on the wall felt alive, like the people in them. Even when it was a picture of myself, weren't photos at all, but actual people or things that looked like people watching us through windows from some other world. I also had this horrible feeling that something else was watching us. Something above us, up on the ceiling. A human-looking body moving like a spider, head unnaturally bent around at 180 degrees to watch us. I never looked up. Felt like I might lose my mind if I did. I can see all this clearly in my mind even now. When we got downstairs, my mom was sitting on the couch, facing away from us. I told her that something was happening, something bad, that I'd done something, and now we needed to figure out how to get away from some bad people or some these things out in the yard, and she didn't react. But my dad then walked into the room. Except it wasn't my dad. It was my dad's body plus the eyes and mouth of those things from the yard. Where do you boys think you're going? He asked in a voice my dad's never spoken in. My mom now turned around. Yeah, where are you going, sweet boy? And I screamed. Her face was fucking gone. It looked like someone had literally taken a saw or a knife or something and cut the front half of her head off, including her entire face. No one could actually live like that. No one could talk like that. My friend was screaming too and then the front door opened. Those things, those things from the yard, they were walking into the house. Also the air around us was really buzzing now. So much electricity in the air. You could hear it. A strong hum, like a big power line near a transformer. Like the air could explode at any moment. I grabbed my friend's arm and tugged him towards the garage. With the front door blocked, it was the next fastest way to get out of the house. We ran into the garage and I slammed the door behind us and pressed the button on the wall to open the door. And that's when we knew we were defeated, that there was nothing else we could do. Outside before us lay complete and total darkness, like the middle of the night in the country with a cloudy sky. No, darker than that. A heavy, total absence of light. We couldn't see anything, no streetlights, no shapes, nothing. Even though it was the middle of the afternoon, it was supposed to be bright and sunny. The darkness we stared out into felt alive, like the darkness itself was its own entity. I knew that if we ran out into it, we'd be lost forever. I still think that. I don't know where we would have ended up, but no one would have ever found us in this world again. Not as we exist now, at least. We stood in the middle of the garage, looking out into this void. We glanced at each other, both looking so lost, so hopeless. The door from the house now I opened opened, and it was my parents, what was supposed to be them. My mother continued to speak, even though still she had no face. Join us. Join us in the darkness, son. Let yourself be Reborn. Behind her now, I could see that fucking thing on the ceiling. A monster, a human spider, looking like an absolute nightmare. I started crying. I dropped to the ground, wrapped my arms around my knees and sobbed as I rocked back and forth, my eyes closed, waiting for the end, waiting to die in this nightmare of all nightmares. No, 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 no. Son. My dad's hand was on my shoulder. Son, he repeated. Son, what's wrong? He now yelled and I opened my eyes back up. Everything had snapped back to normal. It was my real dad and it was sunny out. My real mom stood behind him. They both looked incredibly concerned. My friend was standing next to me, rubbing his eyes. What the hell? He said as he looked around. I popped up and ran outside to look for those other things. Nothing. No feeling of pressure or electricity in the air either. The street sounds had returned. I hadn't even noticed the eerie silence before with everything else, everything else going on. But now I noticed what I had not been hearing earlier. Children playing, birds chirping, someone mowing a lawn. My parents told us that we both walked down the stairs like we were in a trance. They thought we were joking around at first, just being weird. When we looked at them, we looked like we were seeing monsters, because we were, and we ran out into the garage. I confessed and told them about the book. My family's not religious, so it's not like the occult was forbidden or anything, but they looked a bit freaked out. I'd never taken them for paranormal believers, but I think maybe actually they did believe us, some of it anyways. My dad went and got that book, and well... I don't know what he did with it. He didn't say, and I didn't ask, but I've never seen it since. Then he took uh, my friend, excuse me, my friend was a believer after that, but no longer a fan of the paranormal. No more horror movies, no more talking about that stuff even. Pretty soon, he stopped coming over and started avoiding me. I think he just didn't know how to process what happened. I'm not sure I know. I'm still a fan of the world of the paranormal, but a lot more scared than I used to be. Still can't watch a scary movie in the dark. Nothing's happened since that day, but I'm constantly worried something could happen again. Every time I feel some static electricity or a pressure shift in the air, I'm on edge. I'm waiting to see one of those things, waiting for that void to return, that door we opened. Terrified it will swallow me whole and show me more of the things I'm convinced we summoned out of it to visit us that day.
0: Ha! Ah! Ah, that's so creepy.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And what
0: was that called? The key of the the book of Solomon. No, the, the key, key of, of Solomon. Solomon. I've never heard of that.
1: Yeah, just like um, there's these old occult books from medieval Europe, mainly that, uh, yeah, just have to do with like literally like you know uh, the magic, but like magic with the C K at the end, mm. and these kind of old rituals for summoning, conjuring spirits, demons, different things. Like lengthy kind of uh, spells and things when, you know, like, I mean, I think where people actually kind of derive like, you know, modern movies and books about like magic. I mean, there were, it was a time when, you know, people were truly believing that this magic was real and performing these uh, rituals and spells and stuff. Yeah, there's these old books about it.
0: Well, I wonder what his dad did with the book. I hope he burned it. Yeah, I don't know. Because I wouldn't want my kids having access to that again. Mm-hmm. It's like kids can't be trusted.
1: Yeah, I, that one. I, I like that story because it's. Uh, I don't. I couldn't remember coming across another story where it's like somebody it reminds me of kind of the elevator game a little mm-hmm. bit, where it's like you, the person walked out of that floor and it was like this bizarro world.
0: Yeah, yeah, like Twilight.
1: Mm-hmm. But this one where it's like reminded me a little bit of Stranger Things too. It's like like oh yeah, like Upside like, Down. Mm-hmm, like if you just opened up a rift into this other kind of place and maybe they didn't do the. The spell completely enough, you know, or w- where it was like permanent, or they were going to get lost in there, right? But it's like the it's like they were shown a little preview of mm-hmm. what might exist, kind of juxtaposed right on top of them. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know.
0: know. It'd be so scary to see your parents like that. Uh huh. The the place that you go for comfort in your toughest, scariest, mm-hmm. darkest moments is now you can't trust it. Well, yeah. in that moment, you can't trust it.
1: I always interpret like stories like this again, you know, if they're real, if they're if the person's, you know, saying what they actually saw that it's just like whatever they're seeing. It's not even like that, that, that whatever they're seeing would be like that all of the time. It just represents Mm -hmm. whatever scares them the most. It's like there's just some kind of like, you know, twist of like a hell on earth kind of thing or an actual hell type place that the whole point of these what you're seeing is just to instill the most fear possible in you.
0: Mm. When I hear stories like this, I think uh of an alternate reality living side by side with ours, mm-hmm. just that you just kind of jumped from our reality to the next one over. N- and not that that's the thing that you're the most afraid of. I mean, it could yeah. be sure, but also just that it's <sighs> that it's it's just this this world that lives next to ours that at any moment mm-hmm. you could just be You could just slip into it. You could just be pulled over there. And
1: we don't talk about about them on this show, but there are, like, stories out there of people having similar experiences to this. Mm -hmm. But it's instead of a a dark, horrible, evil, like, you know, dimension, it's the opposite. It's great. It's, like, full of light and love and warmth and stuff. I want to go to there. (laughs) Yeah, so so there are, like, you know, claims out there of people getting glimpses or slipping into for a moment, like... I guess what you call parallel dimensions like, that are good or bad. Like some euphoria? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That sounds nice.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do more of that one.
1: Not for this show. Ew. Uh, nope. ba- Baby Baphomet says he wants to go to euphoria. Yeah, I doubt it. I don't trust Baby Baphomet. <laughs> uh, no pics attached to the story, but here's uh, some no-face fan art by Gilberto Soren Zaragoza. Gilberto. Uh, S. 0R3N on ArtStation this website
0: that face in the back that's exactly what I was thinking of the mom
1: uh huh yeah no 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 no. I was actually it's close to what I was picturing I was picturing no mouth or anything like 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 um like a oh god there's a when something's bisected, I think is the term for it. But like, if you just took a saw and just started at the top of the head in the middle and just cut straight down. That's gross. So you just don't, it's just gore. It's just like half, you know, blood and brains and bones.
0: That, that what you just showed me is actually scarier to me yeah. than a bisected face, if that's the right term. Yeah. Because the the gore part of it just kind of grosses me out. Yeah. It doesn't scare me. Mm. Whereas like this scares me because it's not even Uncanny Valley. It's like whatever the opposite of that is. Like like you know what's supposed to be there yeah. and you expect it to fit this format. Like every time right. a person, every time I'm in a store and I see the back of a person's head and they turn around, I expect to see two eyes, and nose, one mouth and just yeah. a, a quote unquote regular person. And when somebody turns around and they look like that instead, that's more yeah. terrifying to me because it's like, ah, that's not what I was yeah, planning on saying
1: they're both they're both scary to me like the the hardcore gore i'm not a big like slasher flick kind yeah, of person doesn't bother me but in in a setting like this where someone is still like body language mm-hmm. carrying on mm-hmm. as if everything's okay that was a horrible disconnect yeah but their face is in some state of trauma that like a, a person couldn't survive
0: yeah i can see that mm-hmm. yeah uh, did did you have any other photos no, or just that one just that one yeah oh I like when you have photos.
1: Yeah, I got a bunch. Yeah. for The next story.
0: Okay, good.
1: Uh, do you want to? Do you want to head over to it? Unless you have more questions. Do
0: you want to go? Yeah, we're ready.
1: Okay, you ready to go? Let's go. Uh, let's go meet <laughs> Gary Mark Gilmore.
0: You know that I just think that this thing is like sweet and squishy. I do. Okay, I'm going to bring him to bed with us.
1: But before we meet Mark or Gary, Mark Gilmore, we need to take a quick in between story sponsor break. Please take advantage of these sponsor holiday deals. Use our codes and landing pages so you save money and we keep getting sponsored. And Woo-hoo. thank you. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, creeps and peepers. All right. So a little bit of setup and then I'll uh, get into the story here. Okay. We'll get to meet Gary a little bit here. No, oh, Gary. Gare Bear. On January 17th, 1977, convicted murderer, Gary Mark Gilmore, was executed in the state of Utah. There's no question as to whether or not he was guilty. But there is the question of why he did what he did. He would never express a motive. Others have wondered, including members of his own family, did he end up becoming a killer due to his mother dabbling in the occult years before he was even born? That is what his mother would die believing. Before exploring the paranormal family history that may have led to his final crimes, let us first uh, get to know a bit more about Gary. His execution by firing squad would mark the end of a nearly decade-long moratorium on capital punishment in the U.S. Unlike most people on death row, Gary resisted efforts to have his death sentence overturned. He actually wanted to die. Gary was born Faye Robert Kaufman on December 4th, 1940 in McCamey, Texas, second son of Frank Sr. and Bessie Gilmore. Gary's name was registered as Faye Robert Kaufman because at the time of his birth, the family was using the alias of Kaufman due to uh, his dad, Gary, being still legally married to at least one other woman he didn't want to find him. Young Gary had three brothers, Frank Jr., Galen, and Michael. The boys would move often because of their dad's criminal activities. He's described in a few different sources as being a con man. Eventually, the family moved to Portland, Oregon in 1948. Gary would start committing petty crimes in Oregon and end up being sent to the McLaren's Reform School for Boys in Salem, a former prison, at the age of 14. And then he'd pick up where he left off and continue his criminal behavior as soon as he got out. He'd be in and out of jail for the rest of his life. In January of 1975, due to causing trouble in jail, getting into fights with other inmates mostly, Gary was transferred to a maximum security federal prison in Marion, Illinois. There he received a conditional release in May of 1976 when he was 35 and moved to Provo, Utah, where he had family and where he'd stay with his cousin, Brenda Nickel. He got a shop, got a job at a shoe repair shop, worked for an insulation company, and then began dating a local 19-year-old, Nicole Baker Barrett, also continued committing thefts. Gary's young girlfriend broke up with him, and in response, he began a deadly crime spree. On July 19, 1976, Gary robbed a gas station and shot attendant Max Jensen. Max was 24 and a student at Brigham Young University. He was working that night because he lost a coin flip to the assistant manager. Gary shot Jensen twice in the head. And as he shot him, he said, this one is for me. This one's for Nicole. He'd never express remorse for the killings. The very next day on July 20th, while Gary's truck was being repaired, he walked into a motel, ended up shooting and killing 25-year-old manager Ben Bushnell. Like Jensen, Bushnell was also a college student. Both men would leave behind widows and infants. Both of the men complied with Gary's orders, and he shot him anyway. And he would later say he had no motive for their murders. Just felt like it. His mother and other family members would literally, literally believe that a demon made him do it. A demon that had possessed him decades earlier. Gary accidentally shot himself in the hand when trying to depose of the murder weapon, and a mechanic, Michael Simpson, saw him hiding the gun in the bushes and saw blood on his bandaged hand. He heard about the shooting on a police scanner, so he wrote down Gilmore's plate number and called the police. Gary then called his aunt to ask for bandages and painkillers. She also called the police to report him, and then he'd be arrested trying to drive out of Provo. Gary quickly confessed to both murders, but due to a lack of evidence in the Jensen case, no eyewitnesses, they only ended up trying him for Bushnell's killing, the easiest to convict him. On October 7th, 1976, 35-year-old Gary Gilmore was convicted of murder and sentenced to die. Gary was described as completely emotionless when he heard the jury's verdict. When asked to choose between being hanged or the firing squad, Gary calmly said, I'd rather be shot. The US Supreme Court had just reinstated capital punishment on July 2nd of that year, perfect timing because Gary very much wanted to die. In prison, he attempted suicide twice. Gary's mother convinced it was her fault Gary turned out like he did, requested a stay of execution on his behalf But then when Gary heard about it, he had a letter published asking her to stop requesting that. On January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore got his wish and was executed. And his last words, calmly and coldly spoken, were, let's do it. Random trivia. This uh, got quite a bit of press. The founder of the premier advertising agency, Wyden Kennedy, Dan Wyden, would later credit the Nike slogan, just do it. Stop it. To being inspired by Gilmore's last words. Prior to being shot, Gary was hooded and had a target placed over his heart. He actually had requested to be executed without a hood, but his request was denied. He wanted to look his killers in their eyes when they shot him, let them watch him smile as they drew down on him. Gary was shot four times in the heart, dead in seconds, and then his ashes were scattered across Utah. And possibly a demon that had tormented him was released back to wherever it had come from. Author Norman Mailer would write a book, The Executioner's Song, published in 1979, based on Gilmore's life, and it would win the Pulitzer Prize, and would be adapted into a TV movie starring a young Tommy Lee Jones. Gary's younger brother, Michael Gilmore, who would become a senior contributing editor for Rolling Stone magazine, would publish a book about his brother's life and execution called Shot in the Heart in 1994, and it would be adapted into an HBO film about Gary of the same name. While writing that book... Michael researched his family history to try and see where things went wrong in Gary's life and learned about a series of paranormal incidents from his mother's childhood. Bessie Gilmore had played with the Ouija board as a teenager, and she would die believing that when she did, she summoned a demon, and that that demon attached itself to her family and later actually possessed her son Gary and drove him to do what he did. Time now for the tale of the Gilmore family demon. Bessie Gilmore grew up Mormon in the early 1900s in Utah. In October of 1929, when she and her sister, Alta, were shopping in Provo for an upcoming Halloween party, Bessie found a Ouija board at a five-and-dime store, and she bought the board and snuck it home. After her parents went to bed that night, Bessie and her sisters, Alta and Patta decided to play with it. Bessie's sister, Mary, was afraid for them. She warned her sisters about a lecture they'd recently received from their bishop about bringing the devil into their house. Another sister, sister Wanda, threatened to tell their mom, but Bessie warned, you'll do no such thing unless you want a good slapping. Bessie, Alta, and Pada put their fingers on the planchette, and Alta asked the first question. Is there anybody there? All was quiet for a few moments, until slowly, jerkily, it inched to the Ouija board's corner, to the word yes. Alta asked, who are you? And the planchette quickly spelled out, I am a dead Indian. Wanda began crying, then ran out of their bedroom screaming. Bessie's mother, Melissa, stormed into the bedroom, saw the Ouija board and asked, What have you brought into my house? She was furious, told the girls they were mocking God. She was especially angry at Alta, who she thought should know better. She ordered Alta to take the Ouija board outside and burn it. When Alta came back into the room that night, she whispered to Bessie, Mother went back to bed. I hid the Ouija board in the barn. (gasps) A few nights later, on Halloween night, 1929, the girls went to a party at their local church. Hours later, at around 2 a.m., Alta and Bessie snuck out of their bedroom window and into the barn. Under the light of a kerosene lamp, they got out the Ouija board. They asked the same questions as before and got the response, I am a dead Indian. I was killed because I killed a white man. He stole from me. I want back. They were interrupted again when their father now walked into the barn. He chopped the board up with an axe in front of the girls and threatened serious punishment if he ever caught them, quote, worshipping the devil again. In the following weeks, Bessie and Alta tried to contact the spirit without the board, but nothing ever happened. What did soon happen was a tragic accident with a horse. In early 1930, a strange and spooky white horse wandered onto the family's property. The girls ran up to pet it, but their mother, Melissa, ordered them to come inside. She said she had a bad feeling about it. She didn't recognize it as one of her neighbor's horses. Melissa tried to shoo it away, but the horse stood there, staring at the house for several hours, until Bessie's father got home from work. That night, Bessie overheard her mother say to her father, You know what it means when a white horse comes to visit. It means someone in this house will die. A few days later, on a Sunday afternoon, a neighbor was using his horse to pull a sled around and offered the Brown family girls a ride. Alta and Wanda asked if they could go, but Melissa told them no, saying, I don't have a reason to say no, but I'm going to tell you no. I just have a funny feeling. Later that day, Alta and Wanda decided to ride that sled behind their mother's back. Bessie refused to go. Several minutes later, while Bessie was standing on her front porch... She saw the neighbor on his horse, galloping towards her with the sled behind him. Alta and Wanda were lying down in the sled, returning home from their ride as happy as could be. But then as Michael Gilmore later wrote, As the horse pulled up in front of the house, something spooked it. The man riding had tried to calm it down, then it reared again, threw the sled into the air, tossing the girls in an arc against a utility pole. Wanda hit the pole hard on her left shoulder, and everybody in the yard heard a crack. Alta hit the pole face first. <gasps> with a terrible impact and fell to the ground somebody ran inside and found Melissa who came hurrying to the road to find two of her daughters spilling blood out into the snow Wanda was unconscious apparently dead but Alta was scrabbling around on the ground trying to turn herself over Melissa kneeled down beside her placed Alta's head on her lap the front of Alta's skull had been crushed in Melissa could see bone oh mama said Alta I'm so sorry I should have listened to you and then Alta began to cry There was so little bone support left in her face that the crying forced her eyes from their sockets until they rested on her cheeks. Melissa stayed in the snow, rocking her favorite daughter back and forth, petting her hair until the life left her. A doctor arriving soon quickly declared Alta dead, but Wanda was actually still alive. She would be paralyzed on the left side of her body for the rest of her life. A few weeks after Alta died, her sisters were in her old bedroom and saw a white light that moved closer and closer to the bed. They were convinced it was the spirit of Alta. The light materialized into the form of Alta, said she was happy, wasn't in pain anymore. She told her sister she loved them and then faded into nothing, allegedly leaving an indent on the bed where she had been sitting. Michael Gilmore wrote, nobody ever figured out what spooked the horse, but my mother knew. She believed it was the ghost of the dead man that she and Alta had conjured. And now he was the ghost or a demon rather who would haunt her family. In 1937, Bessie Brown met Frank Gilmore in Salt Lake City. Bessie was living in a downtown hotel. She did housework and part-time hand modeling for jewelry ads. Bessie was friends with a girl named Alta, or I'm sorry, Anita, a waitress. Bessie met Anita at the Utah Hotel, where she was living with her boyfriend, Frank Gilmore. A few days later, Bessie saw Frank again when she was walking to the library. Frank asked her out for coffee. He told her he was an ad salesman for Utah Magazine. Bessie was very attracted to him, but Frank said he was getting married the next day. A year later, the two ran into each other again at the Utah Hotel. Frank said his marriage had ended, surprise, surprise, and asked her to the movies. After a short courtship, Frank asked Bessie to go with him to Sacramento and marry him, and she did. She met Frank's mother, Faye Ingram, who Bessie learned was a psychic and fortune teller, a woman who said she could communicate with spirits. The newlyweds moved in with Faye in Sacramento where Faye performed seances, summonings, and materializations during the evenings. Bessie tried her best to avoid it all, still spooked about the demons she worried she'd conjured up years earlier. A few years later, 1946, the Gilmore family, now with children, moved back to Sacramento to stay with Faye who was in poor health. Bessie, Frank, and their sons Gary, Frank, and Galen all moved into Faye's house. Faye was still conducting seances. And one evening, Faye told Bessie she would be conducting a seance that was a bit unusual. Faye said she was going to contact a spirit that died under the shameful suspicion of murder. She told Bessie to take the children to a movie and stay out late. Bessie heeded her warning. When they came home that night, Faye was in the kitchen, looking paler and shakier than Bessie had ever seen her look before. "'It seemed to my mother that there was an air of unease "'about the place that night,' Michael wrote, "'that there was, in fact, a smell of something "'old and wretched in the air.' "'Bessie felt uneasy, and she tucked the boys and Fay into bed. "'As she left, she saw a look of utter fear "'and helplessness on Fay's face. "'In the early morning hours, Bessie woke up "'to hearing something moving about in the house. "'At first she was scared, but then she remembered "'that Frank had called and said he'd be coming back soon. "'She assumed it was her husband and fell back asleep. "'Bessie was then woken up by an intimate touch.' Michael Gilmore later wrote, At first she told me later it was a gentler touch than usual from my father, and still half asleep in the darkness, she pressed up against him. And then this hand that had pleased and hurt her in so many ways over the years touched her in a manner that no man had ever touched her before and she was outraged. She pushed away, opened her eyes, and what she saw, she said, what had tried to caress her so shockingly was not my father. It did not even look truly human, though it bore a distinct hungry leer on its face. Bessie ran out of the hallway and called for her sons. To her shock, she now saw Faye walking towards her, looking entranced and muttering in a low, frightened voice. The walking detail especially bothered her because Faye had been in a wheelchair the entire time Bessie had known her. Faye now said, Bessie, you must leave here. You must leave this house now. It knows, Bessie. It knows who you are, what you did. Bessie thought of the spirit that she communicated with during that Ouija board session. Frank Jr. suddenly grabbed Bessie's hand, pulled her to the bedroom. Mommy, Gary, Mommy, Gary, he cried. Michael wrote, when she entered the bedroom, she saw the same figure that had just been in bed with her, now bending over her son Gary, staring into my brother's eyes. Bessie grabbed Gary and other children and ran out of the house, and she would never see Faye alive again. On December 15th, 1946, Faye Ingram passed away at the Sacramento County Hospital. After Faye's death, young Gary began having terrible nightmares typically dreams of being beheaded, dreams of death and torment and monsters, dreams of hell. Eventually, the family moved to Salt Lake City, where they'd live in a small house on the outskirts of the city. Bessie fully believed the house they moved into was haunted, that perhaps it was haunted because they'd brought something with them. She claims to have felt malevolent presences, heard noises, felt something breathing on her face at night. The boys often felt the same sensation as well, heard the same noises, Most of the activity here occurred in baby Michael's room. Bessie and her sons would sometimes hear Michael babbling and then, so disturbing, hear something talking back to him. But whenever they entered his room, he was always alone. Almost always. One night, Bessie heard someone talking in Michael's room again. When she entered the room, she saw a face much like the one she had seen those years before at Faze, bending over as if it was about to kiss her son. Bessie wanted to move out immediately. She insisted that the house was haunted, but her husband, Frank, didn't believe her. He said it was just mice she was hearing, just her imagination when she swore she saw things. Around this time, now 11-year-old Gary began to commit his first crimes and engage in other risky behavior. He also continued to have horrible nightmares. He would often call out for his mother and tell her that something was in the room with him. Michael wrote, One night, following one of these episodes, Bessie studied Gary as he fell back asleep. Maybe he had spent too much time around Faye and her damned spirits, my mother thought. Maybe that awful ghost that night had somehow gotten inside of him. Or maybe the spirit that dwelled in this very house had found entry into his vulnerable soul. Something about Gary's face, as well as his recently wrongful behavior, Bessie decided, was inexplicably different. No question about it, there was now a terrible spirit living inside her son. Bessie became convinced that a demon, perhaps the thing she contacted all those years ago, had stolen her son Gary's soul. On January 1st, 1952, the family heard more noises in their house, a long and mournful moan from the attic, like the noise of a creature caught in the agony of death. Bessie warned her husband, if we don't leave here, Frank, we're going to die under the weight of that evil thing. Frank, who now also heard these sounds, sounds that terrified him, listed the house for sale the next day. A decade later, in 1962, Frank Sr. became very sick and would eventually learn that he had terminal colon cancer. One evening after his diagnosis, Frank woke up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. And he awakened his entire family when he screamed Bessie's name. Frank had fallen down the stairs and hit his head on the wall. And he was convinced it was not his weakened physical state that led him to his fall. He told Bessie, I heard somebody whisper something to me. And then it felt like something grabbed me by the throat and threw me down the stairs. I think something's in the house with us. Frank never went upstairs again. On July 31st, 1962, he died in Seattle, Washington. Just over six months later, in early 1963, Gary's behavior was worsening. After the 22-year-old was jailed for driving with an open container, he began assaulting inmates, and the judge ordered a psychiatric evaluation. Gary threatened people at the hospital and harmed himself. He also said creepy and disturbing things like, he wanted to bleed to death, wanted to die, but most he wanted to bleed to death. Doctors diagnosed him with sociopathic personality, antisocial type, with intermittent psychotic decompensation. Gary would greatly struggle with his mental health during the final decade of his life. His mother was convinced it was not a psychological affliction, though, but a spiritual one, that a demon was tormenting him. Less than a decade later, in 1977, Gary Gilmore would die at the age of 36 when executed by that firing squad. Bessie would die four years later in 1981 in Portland, Oregon, and she would die convinced that her early foray into contact in the spirit world had led to a lifetime of hauntings, to her sister dying, another sister becoming paralyzed, to additional children of hers dying before she did, and to her son becoming a demonically possessed and then executed murderer. Is it possible that the family's numerous tragedies were all caused by teenage girls playing with the Ouija board? Do these items really have the power to summon demons? And can those demons impact people across generations and decades? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <I've, clears throat> excuse me. I've never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, because we've talked about, you know, like lifelong hauntings or yeah. uh, an entire family being affected by a haunting. But this is different where it's uh, like handed down. Right. Or, and I don't even know if that's the right word.
1: lot of crazy claims that he uncovered about his uh mom and the family though right yeah man
0: yeah but he's also nutty i mean i don't know it's Mm -hmm. like he's not totally stable so was his is is it a series of mental illness totally
1: yep that's always a possibility
0: but then also you know we've dipped our toe in that water of like is there the possibility that sometimes mental illness is the diagnosis but really what's going on is some sort of uh, possession, mm-hmm. manifestation. And we've talked about it, it could be both. And it could be. It could be like the the pe- people not believing you could mm-hmm. drive you absolutely crazy. Yeah, totally. You know? I don't know. Ugh. I don't know. But he also just sounds like a naughty pants.
1: <laughs> True. I don't know. I do have some pictures. Okay. Uh, creepy picture of Gary Gilmore following his final arrest and trial. Yeah, he. I mean, he looks disturbed
0: he looks like Bill Nye the Science Guy's naughty brother.
1: He does, actually. He yeah. Does. Uh this next picture is fi- his final girlfriend, the much younger Nicole Baker Barrett. They would get back together after his final arrest and no form way. and form a suicide pact. Uh she would smuggle sleeping pills into prison for him and they'd both overdose uh but live. Man. Uh yeah, and yeah, she had a a crazy a uh, hard life before she ever met him. I
0: was just going to ask. Like, I bet that she... I, I mean, that is such... I a mean, she was
1: 19. If I remember correctly, she was already married twice before meeting him. Man. And uh, had, you know, a couple kids, a couple different dads. You know, like, she, she came from, a, a, I think, a broken home, you know, and, and just a lot of, like, early struggles.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think a broken home is what... Defines no, you no, in that way, but
1: it can you can add. You know, it's like technically I came, you came from yeah. broken homes too. But it's like you know various components, I'm wrong fine. crowd. I'm normal. Mm, yeah, ish. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, this next one, Baby Gary, with parents Frank and Bessie, back when life was better. Yeah, I mean just
0: standard, right? Yep,
1: yep, just standard old picture. And then young Tommy Lee Jones,
0: a <laughs> little baby. I speaker. forgot how
1: handsome young Tommy Lee Jones. was. Uh, and this is playing Gary. Look at that! Look at that athlete.
0: So funny, I don't find him attractive at all. I never really. Did. Yeah. I, think, uh, he's I mean, a... he's, he's got a great body, but like his face doesn't do it for me. Huh.
1: I always thought he's like a cool looking guy, like a guy's guy.
0: Uh a man's man. He sort of looks like. Um, he's
1: got a great voice.
0: He looks a little bit like Lou Ferrigno in the face. Hmm. And I don't have a thing for Lou either. Mm. Or like uh, um, um, Tommy Lee. Jo- um,
1: look at that hair, though.
0: Like, uh, who does he look like?
1: I have no idea. There's somebody what you're trying else trying to say,
0: yeah. Sorry, you know how like you get a picture sure, of somebody sure. in your head and you're like,
1: yeah. and then one more late '70s UK punk band, the Adverts. Oh, uh, I, I'm including this picture because they released a single in 1977 called Gary Gilmore's Eyes. Oh, and they did that song. It was written from the point of view of a patient who has just undergone an eye transplant and discovers that he's received the eyes of Gilmore. And Gilmore did request that his eyes be donated to science after his execution. Well, were they? mm Hmm. As far as I know, they actually were. So somebody's got his eyes? Yeah, or had them. Yep. The After his execution, several of his body parts were removed for possible uses uh, for as transplants or for study. And, and yeah, and his corneas were used for transplants. So somebody got his eyes.
0: Ah, that's just inherently creepy. I mean, you don't mm, know who who's stuff. Yeah, I mean, you don't yeah. know whose bits and bobs you're getting. Generally speaking, that's
1: kept mm-hmm. anonymous
0: I mean, well especially i'm assuming but,
1: but fascinating that the whoever got those eyes got the eyes of someone who killed two people who, who watched them die right that's unusual
0: i was yeah what i was gonna say was that uh i bet that if you receive bits and bobs from a convicted whatever somebody mm-hmm. who is executed they don't tell you where it came from
1: No, I I, I doubt they would include those details. You you wouldn't want to know.
0: No, you wouldn't. No. I mean, I'd hardly want to know. If I was on an organ transplant list, I would hardly want to know who my bits and bobs were coming from. Just in general, I think I would feel some sort of weird guilt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's such a bizarre transaction. Totally. You know, one family's suffering is another family's bliss. And... I don't know, Do you? maybe you want to know, maybe you don't want to know, but I'm sure it's like, you're receiving the heart of a 45-year-old white male from Idaho. But like, yeah. I, I don't even know if they're allowed to give that much information. I don't know. I don't know. Let's donate our bodies to science. Okay. Let's donate our eyeballs. Okay. What do you think? The, speaking of eyeballs, in that story... That was, I was starting to cry. That mom with uh, the- Oh my
1: God, the daughter when her eyes popped out after crushing her face on the pole. Oh my God, I can't- What a memory.
0: I I don't think you ever recover from that as a parent. I mean, losing a child, awful on so many levels. But
1: dying in your arms and and in that way. So drastic, tragic.
0: And then the other daughter, I can't believe the other daughter survived. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know she was paralyzed, but-
1: yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it sounded like the other daughter had some kind of traumatic brain injury or something. Uh, unusual to have half of your body. Not Because not, it didn't say she was paralyzed from the waist down. I believe it was her left half, but like half of her body. Oh, so that, half we, that, that way,
0: not like paraplegic. Right, right, or, right. right. Yeah, almost exactly. like a stroke victim.
1: Yep, yep. That's what I was thinking. Stroke yeah. patient. Stroke yeah, some, yep.
0: That that story is disturbing on so many levels just because of all of those specific details. Hmm. I kind of want to watch that movie now. Yeah. Or that HBO series, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, there was a
1: two of them. There was two yeah. different movies, yep.
0: Yeah. Do you want to hold a baby boff? Nah, I'm good. I got
1: my little Be- l- over here.
0: Like, look at baby boff. He'll keep you safe. Okay. Could you imagine, like, after having this, we find out from these fans that, you know, six months down the road, they're like, actually, we hate you. We hate your show. It's a mockery, and they've cursed this, <laughs> and there's a demon inside of this cutie mm-hmm.
1: patootie. Well, doll, the doll brings us down. Oh, my god how terrible would that be? Very terrible.
0: <laughs> it would be very <laughs> terrible actually, since you asked. Uh. Well, are you ready for my half of the show?
1: I'm ready. Let's go. Whoa. Let's do it. I'm amped up.
0: I see that. Give me some horror. I am not amped up. I'm very tired. This well, this flu is still kicking my butt.
1: Just get into the story and we'll we'll, we'll get scared.
0: <laughs> You're like a like a horror motivational speaker right uh-huh. now. Let's go. <laughs> This is a side of you I've never seen. <laughs> oh, a lifelong attachment. And this poor kid, this poor person, their mom kind of brushes it off. They kind of brush up, and I shouldn't say poor, just like poor in the sense of like, oh man, that sucks. Because it's like, you just kind of think like, ah, you're fine, yeah. enough. But they do do some cleansings. They do make some efforts to rid this person of whatever it is that ails them. And then ultimately... When they see it, it's like, oh, God, I guess it was there the whole time. Mm. I've been uh, having a hard time looking in mirrors. The end of this story is going to give you a little mirror fear. All right. Which I know you, you just love. It's your favorite. Howdy, Dan. Howdy, Lindsay. I'm a huge fan of Dan's comedy and scared to death. Oh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm a huge creeper. I'm 24 years old, a male living in the South, and I've been connected to the supernatural my entire life. I come from a Hispanic and Native American family. My great-great-grandfather was a Comanche shaman, and Mm. according to my grandmother, I also would have been one, too, if the practice was still in existence. Like her grandfather, I have always been sensitive to the supernatural. Now, with that being said, I am terrified of what I have seen and felt for the greater part of my life. Since I was a child, I've always felt like I wasn't alone. Wherever I have gone, something's been with me. I've always had the feeling like I'm being watched. My mother says that as a baby, I would laugh and play in my crib as if someone was playing with me. And then I would cry when someone else came in the room as if the person I had been playing with had suddenly left as soon as Mm -hmm. the new person entered the room. My earliest memory or experience with the supernatural came when I was very young, about five, and that's when he first came into my life. As any normal child, I had an imaginary friend. I named him Gabe. To me, he was just a normal kid who would visit and play with me whenever I felt left out. I was the youngest, and my siblings were five and six years older than me, and they never really had time to play with me. But Gabe would stay with me and keep me company when I would go to school or leave the house to go outside, Gabe would get sad because he couldn't come with me. He had to stay in my house. I told my mom, but she wrote it off as me being sad that I had to go to school and that I couldn't stay home and play with my toys. But that wasn't the case, and I told her so. Gabe was mad I was leaving, and I didn't want him to be mad at me. My oldest sister told me to stop acting like a baby The Gabe wasn't real. and after that, And after that comment, Gabe did go away. Or so I thought. One morning, my sister had woken up with a massive bruise on her back. She blamed me, saying I had hit her. And naturally, I got in trouble, but I knew it was something I didn't do. I was so angry, and I hated everyone in the house for siding with my sister. That night, I heard my sister crying and screaming, Get away from me! My mom heard her, too, and ran to her room to see that something was trying to hurt her. My my mom called my... I'm sorry, my sister said that she saw a little boy in the corner of her room, and he was trying to get to her. My mom called my grandma, she came and blessed the house, and I never saw Gabe again, or at least not in the form of that little boy. Fast forward to me being about 14, I had my first encounter with the man that I dubbed the jacket guy. He always wore a torn, beaten up, brown jacket and a matching brown hat. Hmm. My two cousins and I were playing in my grandparents' living room while the adults were across the street at my great-grandma's house watching a football game when we heard a knock at the front door. As the oldest in the house, I answered the door. A man was there, and he said he was a friend of my grandma's and that she had sent him over to use the restroom because all of the other ones across the street were currently being used. I didn't think anything of it. It's not like this was an uncommon thing for us, so I let him in. About an hour passed when my cousins realized that the man had never left the house. We searched the house high and low, but he was nowhere to be found. We went across the street to see if he was there, but of course, he wasn't. When I asked my grandma where the man had gone, she said she never told anyone to come over to the other house. And thus began my spiral into insanity. About a week later My niece Who was three at the time Came running out of my room In hysterics Saying there was a mean man Touching our uncle's stuff In her room And he wouldn't go away Thinking someone was in the room Everyone ran down the hall To see what was going on But no one was there that same night I started to have horrible dreams Waking up to someone Standing at the foot of my bed I would try to scream But no words would come out of my mouth I felt this pressure on my chest too In the morning I told my mom, but yet again, she brushed it off, saying it was just a dream. And life goes on like this for years. Once Mm. a week, I have the same nightmare, wake up to the same presence, standing at the foot of my bed, heavy pressure on my chest, and I get no sleep. Until eventually, it stopped. That is until about the time I turned 18 and I saw the jacket man again. And this time, I was walking home from work. I could hear my mom's voice calling out my name. Naturally, I started looking around, thinking that she must be in her car, trying to get my attention so she could give me a ride home. Except I don't see any signs of her anywhere. I walk about another two miles when I hear her calling my name again, and yet she's still nowhere to be seen. I brush it off, convincing myself that my mind is playing tricks on me. But then I hear her voice again, and this time my mom is hysterical, like she's trying to get my attention because something is wrong. In a panic, I begin running home, but stop in my tracks when I see a man in the distance, just standing there in his torn jacket and his brown hat. I feel a sense of unease wash over me, and by the time I get home, I find my mom has been crying. She had just found out that my grandmother had been diagnosed with breast cancer. I told my mom about the strange walk home I had had, about hearing her voice calling to me, and the jacket man. Immediately, my mom called my grandma, who again advised my mom to perform a cleansing on me. And then life goes on. For years, my life goes on like this. I hear my mom scream, see the man in the brown hat and jacket, and then find something has happened to someone I love. I think nothing of it, though. It's got to be a coincidence, right? But it grows worse when I start hearing my mom's scream escalate to blood-curdling levels begging for my help. I would run to my mom's room, only to find she'd never screamed at all. And for years it goes on this way. I hear her scream, she's okay, and she tells me I'm hearing things. And I feel like I'm going crazy. And then finally one day I'm in my mom's room when she starts panicking, saying that she's just seen someone behind me. We search the house only to find we are the only ones home. My mom buys some sage and cleanses the house and me for the 100th time in my life, like I'm some freaking demon or something. And this time it was different. As soon as she lit the sage, my body reacted to it. I started coughing violently and it felt like I was suffocating. Even the slightest pass near me sets me off. My mom calls my grandma for advice again and she declares that a spirit must be attached to me and that my mom should stop with the sage cleansing because it's only making the attachment more angry. Fast forward to the current day. I've moved in with my cousin who had been living in her apartment for a year The day I move in, her boyfriend starts to see shadows moving around the apartment. I'd seen them too, but thought nothing of it. After all, this is just normal to me. Another round of blessings and cleansings is performed, but this time, I'm tired of living like this, and I take control of the process. As I'm going around, splashing holy water all over my room, I pass by a mirror on the wall and see something that stops me in my track. My reflection isn't moving like it should. It's me. Uh but it's not mirroring my movements like it should. My cousin walks in, touches my arm, and I'm suddenly back in control of my body. I look at the mirror, and now my shadow is acting normal, back in sync with my body. I took that mirror down, and I threw it away anyways. Immediately, I did this. It's been two weeks, and I haven't heard or seen anything. Is it finally over?
1: The jacket detail is so odd. Like, What, a, oh. what an unusual, like, very specific...
0: You think I think it's the Hat Man,
1: but with the torn jacket, I just I, I just never heard about that that torn jacket. I'm like, is this some oh. spirit, some family deceased family member? Like, who is this? I kept waiting oh. t- to see if like the uh, she would see like an old picture or something and be like, yeah. oh my god.
0: Oh, I just assumed that it was the Hat Man because the Hat Man is generally mm. with the hat and sort of like a trench coat kind of
1: yeah kind and of the Hat Man phenomenon. I mean, if you know, again, you know, just uh. Yes, if we're standard, gonna believe this. Standard disclaimer. Um, yes, we know. That there's no rule that there couldn't be like a whole bunch of different hatmans. Like which is yeah. you know, like it's multiple entities that share that characteristic for who knows why.
0: Right, right. Yeah. The the
1: one of them needs a new jacket.
0: <laughs> one of them's been shopping at a shitty store. <laughs> uh the mirror detail, like it freaked me out so much because then like for the next couple of weeks i've just been looking in the mirror like does my shadow move in sync with my body yeah you because, drive yourself crazy because like what if i was i always think about like all the things i do in a bathroom like if i was just like <coughs> curling my hair yeah and then i'm like this but my reflection
1: right
0: because the very specific movement m- movement yeah and then if what if my shadow was
1: just standing straight or I'll like lose my shit. Arms out to if the sky. My, side if my just, reflection stopped mirroring me correctly. It makes me. I mean, it's so disturbing. It's it, such a disturbing thought.
0: It's so disturbing. It makes me think, that, and this is sweet, but it'll make sense of like Peter Pan, how he loses his shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what if you could just like cast your shadow away from your body what is yeah, that yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like what if what if a God. spirit rather can do that separate you from your shadow what if you are walking down a street middle mm-hmm. of the day there's the sun is behind you you've, your shadow is in front of you you are walking but your shadow stays or your yeah. shadow goes in a different fucking direction altogether
1: this, this is the kind of shit that's gonna pop into my brain next time i do psychedelics
0: oh well that's gonna be fun for me
1: yeah, hopefully, hopefully it won't. But, but I do like, it does remind me of when you look at yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. when you're tripping and you don't look like you normally look. I, mean, I don't have that happen. Oh, I do. You do? Oh, yeah. like um, Maybe there
0: is something attached to you.
1: No, well, I do more than you. If you if you up your amount and go hard enough. <laughs> if I, I, I take sure, a hero dose? I, sh- I assure you, your reflection will not be what you want it to be.
0: Well, that sounds terrible. Why would I? Why would I want to take it that far? Why would I want to take the fun well, out of it and be scared?
1: We well, don't have to look in the mirror. I, I, I always try and tell myself like, don't look in the mirror, don't look in the mirror. But inevitably, I feel compelled to look in the mirror. Well, and oh, then I'm just or like, ooh, what's going on with that guy?
0: I have an alternate idea. Yeah, take a little less.
1: Yeah, it's not exciting.
0: <laughs> That's not true. You just go from like. Hi, I hardly ever do psychedelics. Too, I do so many psychedelics. I don't hmm. even think you know what it would feel like to do just a little bit less. Mm. You might still have a really good time.
1: I've done, I've done, I've done less, like a few times. Yeah, it's fine.
0: Well, you do like a baby amount. Like I'm talking, like more than like do more than a Lindsay dose, mm-hmm. but do less than a Dan dose. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we could we could just like tamper it down a little bit because then maybe then maybe mirrors won't be so scary. Mm-hmm. Maybe you won't lose your shadow.
1: <laughs> yeah, never like lost it never that it's not like a, a lack of mirroring it's just like you look distorted because everything looks distorted but then that's my concern though is that it goes from looking distorted to actually like moving on its own <laughs> but I, and in that sense you know I, I would just obviously just like write it off as it's part of the experience but outside of that yeah if you were just totally sober and had that happen i mean god that is that is one of like the scariest things I can imagine. The, 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 sc- the scarier thing, I always think, is to have something. Like, this is an image that always freaks me out. I don't know why this one goes into my head. Mm-hmm. But you're you're looking in the mirror. Something doesn't feel right. You, you just kind like you, you have a bad feeling. And you kind of, like, lean forward. And you're trying to, like, study your reflection. And then some other fucking thing just kind of, like, pivots behind you. Yeah, And it, all of a sudden, its reflection is in the mirror. And it's standing right behind you. Mm-hmm. God, that freaks me out, that thought.
0: Yeah. Horror movie directors love you because that is mm. a trope we've seen a million yes. times. It's so that good. that's where it it's comes so from. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh. Mm-hmm. I think about I I, or I think about um Insidious, one mm-hmm. of my like favorite horror movie scenes. Uh what is it? Patrick Wilson mm-hmm. when when like uh, the camera's looking at him and there's a little mirror behind him and in that little mirror is that red demony face thing just pops out of nowhere. God, that freaked me out the first time I saw that movie.
0: Yeah. I think the thing about the mirrors, too, is that you can justify to yourself that, like, oh, it's a trick of the light. Because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's so fast. Yeah. If, if it lingers, then it's a little bit more mm-hmm. like, for me, it would be more like, wait a second, what is happening? But yeah. when it's fleeting— then it's like, wait, did I see that or not? Mm-hmm. That's that's what messes with me is that, that unknown, that intangible of like, did I or didn't I? Yeah. What just happened there? Yeah. Was that? Nah. Nah. Must have just been like, you know, a towel fell down off the hook behind me. Mm-hmm. Or what did it last night? I uh, The holidays. We're traveling for the holidays. So I was up to one. So annoying. Yeah. On top of, you know, still being exhausted from our flu bug. And I just heard a lot of strange noises in the house last night. And in all likelihood, it was, like, the ice maker. Yeah. It's been a very long time since I've been up that late. But now, like, there's there have been a weird amount of strange things happening in sort of our community, I mean, there's obviously the very sad Moscow murders and then there was this like, I don't know, they're trying to decide if it was like a sonic boom or an explosion just a couple days ago in Post Falls where like people in Coeur d'Alene heard it, people in Spokane heard it. Hmm. There was a very tragic and awful shooting an accidental shooting and like, there's been like this and this and this and it's, I'm sure that it's kind of always like that, but, I am really, yep, my nerves are raw, I'm very heightened, I was very afraid to be alone in the house without you this weekend while you were traveling, like, Mm -hmm. so now every sound that is normal in our house suddenly feels so loud, like I've never heard it before, like, very, very, on edge, jumpy, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how about a sweet little stuffed animal that's not so
1: sweet, (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: Baphomet, of you be good. Uh, okay. Well, it's been a while since I think we've had like a haunted, on the fan side, yeah, haunted adult. doll, haunted stuffy, what have you. Because I know just last week you told the tale the of Annabelle. Annabelle. Yeah, Still can't believe we never told that. Which we did have confirmation from the fans. They're like, yeah, no, you never told that story. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows it. And I think mm-hmm. that that's more what it is. But um, this this is, ooh, ha, 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 ha. you know, if your kid's stuffed animal. Suddenly, it was giving you night nightmares and was out to get you and wasn't where you left it, even yeah. though you know you put it on the shelf.
1: Now, I think of our dogs' babies. Like, we have all these <gasps> little stuffed animals that our oh dogs gosh. play with. That's they, it. We have to give it all the stuffies. Penny Penny loves her little babies. She's always bringing them around. Now, it's mm-hmm. like if one of those just started, like, you get, like, a weird feeling about it, started my moving God. around on its own. That's such an interesting concept. A little dog's fluffy. Like, uh-huh. like one of their little squeaky toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, what if Orange Bear suddenly just, like, made his way to bed? Oh, my God. Yeah, right? Yeek. Well, let's talk to Tom and see what Tom's got going on. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. I love your podcasts, both Scared to Death and Time Suck. And I have a little story I'd like to share. My story happened back in 2011. I'd gotten in trouble for theft. I was young and I was stupid. But that isn't an excuse. Luckily, no charges were pressed against me, but my parents did send me to a children's home for troubled youth Mm. about three and a half hours away from home to straighten me out. His parents were not fucking around. No, no kidding. I like it. The cottage I was in was the newest on campus, but it was built on top of the remains of an older cottage. It had two levels, the main level and then the storm shelter basement level. Mm -hmm. The storm shelter had no windows and had a big, heavy door. For a short period of time, the cottage housed only me and my one friend, the house parents, and their six-year-old daughter. One night in June, there was a tornado spotted nearby, so we all went to the storm shelter of the basement. My friend and I brought his flip video camera to make bullshit videos to help pass the time. After about an hour, the radio broadcaster said that there was an approximate 20-minute break in the storm, and the house parents suggested that we take this opportunity to use the restroom and grab a snack in case things got bad again. My friend and I claimed we were both fine. <coughs> Sorry. While, those, uh, while, while they were upstairs, we continued to mess around with the camera, making fake broadcasts about this, quote, fucker of a storm <laughs> and things like that, when suddenly my friend began freaking out. He was pointing at something behind me. What? I said, what? I didn't see anything behind me. Dude, something just shut the door. I told him not to fuck with me, and when I turned around, I saw that the door was nearly completely shut, and I got freaked out. We, click- we quickly rewatched the video, and sure enough, the door that had been completely open slowly began to close shut all on its own. When our house parents came back downstairs, we asked them if anyone had come down to shut the door. Of course they said no, and that they were going to ask us why we had shut the door. That freaked us out even more. And that small story establishes the creep factor of this place. There was a large building they used for offices and meeting rooms that had a basement with donated clothes, toiletries, and things we might need or could use if our family didn't send us with something. One day, me and my new roommate were waiting for our parents to pick up us for a week-long home visit. Our house parents had already left for their vacation, so we were told to help clean out the donation area until we left. They said we could keep anything we wanted, but to organize the items we didn't. I'm a larger guy, so I knew none of the clothes would fit me. I'd grabbed some stuff for my brother and my cousins before I went home. I ended up actually finding a leather jacket that fit me to my surprise, so I kept it as well as a top hat. When we were getting ready to leave, I just happened to see an older-looking teddy bear with a bowler hat, a vest, and a brown tie sewed to the vest. It was animatronic with a key twist in the back that played the song, Teddy Bear Picnic. I grabbed it for my mom since she used to sing that song to me at night when I was a kid. I had forgotten it when I went on my home visit but had planned to take it the next time I went. I would never make it, it would never make it to my mom though. In fact, that teddy bear didn't make it past the first week in my room. Since this is a place for troubled teens, our windows and doors were locked and alarmed every night until the morning when an access code is typed in and this was so that none of us could sneak in or out. It also means that no one could come in to do any of the following things that happened without us knowing. The first night back from visiting my parents, I put the bear on my desk, located at the foot of my bed. Our beds were parallel to one another, but about eight feet apart. My roommate was a heavy sleeper and snored like a broken chainsaw, so I was having trouble falling asleep, but finally began to drift off when I heard a crash come from the bathroom. I decided to just go to bed and figure it out in the morning. My roommate had been up before me the next day, so he got to the bathroom before me. He said, hey, I put your bear back on the table. Oh, did it fall? I asked. No, you left it in the bathroom. Why'd you have it in there anyways? I went cold. That must have been the loud crash and thud I'd heard the night before.
1: Hmm.
0: We decided to do a test with the bear. We put him in my closet and shut the door. The next morning, we found the bear sitting on the bathroom floor. Immediately we felt sickly scared, but with nervous chuckles, we tried accusing one another of doing it Mm -hmm. When we finally realized we were both telling the truth We decided to prove once and for all that something was fucking with us I grabbed a chair and put the bear on the highest shelf in my roommate's closet Neither of us could get to it without a chair We figured that this way there was no possibility of bullshitting one another The next day, that damn bear was on the bathroom floor again Freaked out, we didn't know if throwing it away would do anything, seeing as this seemed thing, to, this thing seemed to be moving all on its own. My roommate had had enough and decided to dismantle the bear, taking it apart, limb by limb, and removing its head, and then we threw it all in the trash. That night, I took the trash out and made sure that fucker went with it. <laughs> Fast forward two days. I got up first that morning, walked past my sleeping roommate, opened the bathroom door, and there... On the floor was the no bear's way. brown bow tie. It should have still been on the bear's vest as I had seen it like that when I put the pieces of the bear and its clothing in the trash myself the night before. I hope you have uh, I hope you have a great day <laughs> and keep on giving us the only good STD. Hail Nimrod, forever your creep, Tom.
1: Thanks, Tom. The bow tie uh, details uh, pretty disturbing. I mean, <laughs> and if if his roommate was messed with him, Man, he did a great job. But uh, but going back to that thing of like, how could he be? Because they're locked in their rooms every night, right? And so he would have uh, seen or heard him like move the chair to have to get to that shelf to then right. sneak out of the room, shut the door, the, like the, to put it in the bath in the bathroom floor. But,
0: but they but even no even more, they can't leave their oh, room at night. So he they can't are locked get in, in the bathroom at night. Yeah. He, no no no. Uh, sorry. Let me. Okay. So he threw the bear away. The yeah. bear's gone. Bears, right. okay. Right,
1: the last part. Yeah. yeah. When the bow tie comes back up.
0: Gone, gone, gone. Mm-hmm. And that, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Sorry. Yeah. And then he wakes up and he finds remnants of the bear in the bathroom. That's not possible. Who would have to be fucking with them would have to be the house A staff. Parents. Mem- yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like
0: going to the trash. And, and it doesn't even sound like they told the house parents what was happening.
1: Right, that they didn't know that they were being necessarily terrorized by this bear. Yeah. Or, yeah. Strange, 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 strange,
0: strange. I mean, I guess there's like, The small possibility that the roommate, after Tom took the bear and threw it in the trash, that the Mm -hmm. roommate somehow stepped away from... It doesn't sound like there's a lot of kids here. So the roommate would have to be very sneaky, step away, get out to the trash bin, get the, the... the bow tie off the vest bring it back to the room keep it in his pocket wait for Tom to be asleep like it's such and, a and long time and be a good con. actor
1: and be a good actor in all these moments to have Tom not be suspicious yeah that they're messing with them
0: no and Tom in my opinion seems more suspicious like a more suspicious person than the roommate where the roommate seems more in shock mm-hmm. so it's like I don't know
1: yeah yeah what does it all mean who knows
0: Papa, man, did you do it <laughs> we need to give him a different name. I mean, I know what he is, but maybe we can call him like Boffy. Bobby. Bobby. Bobby the Boffhamet. Bobby <laughs> Bill. Do you want to do some uh Annabelle shout-outs?
1: I do. I can okay, start. Great. And I also want to just thank everybody for the ratings and reviews lately. Uh don't thank you for that enough. Uh it, it, it is so helpful, it helps us find new listeners, it keeps us up in the uh in the charts and yeah, and people check that stuff out. So so thank you.
0: Yeah, that is all really important. Like we are yeah, constantly always like looking at those things and mm-hmm. everyone wants to remain relevant and yeah. have the show be enjoyable and found by others. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for continuing to uh, to grow our show. Thank you. And I want to thank the following Annabelle's Victor Cairo, James Allen, Emily Gordon, Alana Bonilla, Jennifer Smith, Mana Schwartz, Alyssa L- Alyssa LaDonato, The Great One. Nice. That's me. Uh, Lyle Sa- Saracino. Holly Bianchi, uh, DV Setner, Logan Ruggles, Linda Studner or Stutter or Studer, maybe. Uh, Trent Coulard, Adini Aronia, John Schaeffel, Diana Bowles, Poison Ash, Ooh. Timothy Coomer, They Call Me Mr. Tony, <laughs> uh, Donatello Yorman Imaje. Uh, your old pal, Seamus McFuck yourself. <laughs> McFocky yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> McFuck yourself.
1: Yeah, they put a, uh, oh yeah, yeah, McFuck yourself. Yeah. And then Cynthia Hawkins, Elizabeth F. Bell, and Amy Rowland.
0: Nice. I love that little baby Layla. I don't even know if there's yeah. any more in the store at this point, but mm-hmm. those are the Two handmade ones. They're so cute. Okay, I'd like to thank the following Annabelle's uh, for all your support Liz Ertle, Maddie Smith, Nikki Helderman. Tammy Provost, Amanda Burgess, Aaron Goldsby, Amy Amahandro, Amanda Booth, Ryan Carroll, Sheila Hemingway, Loop Scoop Pooper, Jennifer Young, Jessica Miller, Sarah Kaharmanes, uh, uh, Christine Lawson, Amanda Linzeth, Lauren Rark, Alex What the Print to Do, no, what the print do. Alex, <laughs> what the print do. Tina Ryder, Ian Maggio, Indy Muir, Muir, Jessica Thomas, Alana Duffy, Isaac Zavala, Cody Chapman, and Myra Contreras. And then I have some spewby shout mm-hmm. To Chastity from your mother Madison, happy birthday sweet creeper girl. To Journey from your mom, Heather, happy 14th birthday. I'm proud to be your mom and proud of your weirdness. Keep it up. I love you. To or- <laughs> to Orlando from your wife, Macy, I love you so much. You're an amazing dad and husband. We appreciate you very much. Keep up the amazing work. And to Jen Jen from your mom, Kim, happy birthday. I'm very proud to have you as my daughter. I love all the parent-child yeah, combo too. listenings and like the families that spoop together, stay together. I love it. I love it.
1: And that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story. at scared death You can email us for everything else. Info at scared to death podcast.com. Thanks to uh, Logan Keith and Tyler C for the work on social media and to Logan again, running bad Thanks to Tyler for producing and directing today. Woo-hoo. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the my story emails and to book editor, Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number four. Uh, I found today's first story, and thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. Again, see our cool little Christmas village here. It is so cool. To Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content, and to see the pictures that accompany each episode, at Scared to Death Podcast, and we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. Creeps and Peepers. <laughs> Creeps, and <creepers. laughs> Creeps and Peepers with... Around 22,000 horror-loving members. That's
0: awesome, you guys. Good job.
1: And you can now follow us on TikTok as well, also at Scared to Death Podcast. Uh, And if you want to not hear more ads, if you want bonus monthly episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog, ad-free, and so much more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you are scared to death.
0: Bye. If spirits threaten me in this
1: place... Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Papers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan.
0: I'm Baby Baphomet.
1: Oh, geez. <laughs> There's Lindsay.